Welcome back to The Shorter, a podcast on The Shorter Catechism where two pastors take 20-something minutes to confess their way to the 107 questions of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I'm your host, Tommy Park, and I'm joined by my co-host, Stephen Spinnenweber. How are you, good friend? I'm doing well. Doing well. Yeah. I Just uh, living the dream, you know? Living the dream. Yeah, we um, yesterday got in the office a little bit late. Um, my wife... I don't think I've announced it on the podcast. It's pregnant. Yes. Prego. Expecting our third. Congrats, my friend. April 16th. Thank you. It's funny. My son's birthday is the same day as my oldest sister's birthday. And this third baby, his or her birthday, we're not going to find out the gender until baby's born, is one day off from my other sister's birthday. So basically, we're trying to steal my sister's thunder as much as possible and stacking all the kids' birthdays on those same days. Well, this is our bonus episode, right? This is our bonus episode, yeah. And the reason we did this bonus episode was, one, we originally had this and the question 26 as one episode, and we stopped and we were like... They would still be listening. They would still be listening. It was too much. So what we did was we we kind of said, okay, let's, let's make this a bonus episode. It's going to be maybe a slightly deeper dive than what we normally do. Um, but we're going to bring in some good resources. We got everything from Gerhardus Voss to Louis Burkhoff, your boy. Richard Pratt. Richard Pratt. And hopefully making clear what we mean when we say the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God is actually a doctrine that was fought over in the 19th and 20th century church by liberals, conservatives. I mean, it, it's what the kingdom is, is central to what we believe about the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. So figure that it might deserve its own separate treatment today. Yeah, and I think it helps, at least it helps me see the Bible as a grand story, uh, helps me apply the Bible into life today. Yeah, there's so much, and hopefully we'll kind of bring it all out to light for you, our wonderful listeners. So, So with our preliminary considerations, when we talk about Christ as king, because the kingdom, last time we talked about the conduct of the king, what it is that Jesus does as our king, but now we're kind of learning about the arena wherein he executes the office, and that's the kingdom. So when we talk about kingdom, we're, Scripture has a way of talking about Christ as king in two senses. We're going to focus on one sense today, but Tommy, what are the two senses? Yeah, so the first sense is that of a creational kingship. Uh, you think of Psalms, like Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all, uh, as well as Colossians 1, 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Even going back to creation, Genesis 1, you, you see mm-hmm. him creating Adam and Eve to being his royal uh, representation uh, throughout the world, that you're going to be my images throughout the whole world, and you're going to have dominion, reigning and ruling, all those things, proving his creational kingship. Mm -hmm. But there's also, and this is what we're going to focus on today, is this uh, mediatorial kingship, uh, where, you know, in Colossians 1, which Colossians 1 is this sweet, rich passage where it talks about that he is the head of the body of the church, um, that his kingship is 
as we'll talk through, there's there's a nature to it. There's a connection with his church, and that he is reigning and ruling now in our midst and with us and through us, and and kind of and that's why we want to spell this out is that there is a reality to this. And so, how does that reality play out, mm-hmm. particularly us as Christians? So there is a sense in which Christ is the King over all creation, for from Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. But then there's also this mediatorial way, this redemptive kingship of Christ, we can call it that, that he exercises uniquely uh, for the sake of the church. So we're going to divide our time under three points today, uh, the preachers that we are. The first, we're going to talk about the kingdom's nature. Second, the relationship between the kingdom and the church, which is probably where a lot of uh, our listeners' questions are, and the kingdom's growth the already, and we'll call it the not yet aspect of the kingdom. So the kingdom's nature, we learn throughout the New Testament very clearly that the kingdom of which Christ is king is not an earthly kingdom strictly, but that it's a spiritual kingdom. Why do we believe that, Tommy? For a number of reasons. One, we have the Lord's Prayer as an example, that your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus, as he mentions, you know, he you know, hits the zealots and the Pharisees with these hard one-liners that, you know, my kingdom is not of this world. Uh, and if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not deliver, that I may might not be delivered over to the Jews, but again, my kingdom is not of this world. And so, you know, throughout the Gospels, you kind of see that, you know, this weird reality that Jesus is the king that is to come, um, but we see this kingdom is coming from a certain place, and that's from heaven. There's this spiritual realm to this this kingdom. Yeah, and the messianic expectations of many in that second temple Jewish period was a nationalistic liberator of sorts. So you think of, uh, in the history of the Jews, Judas Maccabeus, you know, somebody who's going to lead an uprising against the Roman occupiers and free the nation. Um, and, and this would have been one who will, uh, this is going to make it into the Scott Red episode, one who would be a son of David. So somebody who's from David's bloodline and who's going to exercise his kingship in a very real, tangible, I can see you doing it kind of manner like David or Solomon did. But Jesus, his kingship really shattered expectations and was not what the people were expecting because they were expecting one purely physical, earthly, whereas Christ came to bring in a spiritual kingdom. So let's talk about Voss, good old Gerhardus. Yeah, this is one of those guys that many of us probably don't read. But he's helpful in this to kind of like, okay, what is this? How does this look? What does this look like? Yeah. So when he talks about the kingdom or when he talks about the kingdom of God, he talks about it in abstract and concrete senses. So basileia, that's the Greek word for king or king or kingdom. It can stand for the concrete idea of a kingdom, uh, the sphere in which a king rules, but abstractly or speaking in an immaterial manner of all says, the kingship or rule exercised by the king. So when Jesus says, but if it, if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So wherever Christ is exercising his saving power, there we can say the kingdom of God is. Wherever the king is, the kingdom is. 
and you know, Voss, he gives this really simple definition, the sphere of saving power. It's wherever God is abstractly executing his saving purposes, but there is also a locative idea that it's the realm in which that happens, and we would say that is the church. Yeah. Well, you even see, I mean, I just couldn't imagine living in that first century when Jesus is like healing and restoring and delivering, and, and you can hear the rumblings throughout the whole region coming to to Jesus, and you can, you, I would imagine during that those, that first century with Jesus on earth, the king on earth, is that kingdom was coming on earth as it was in heaven, and him restoring this person, lifting up this little girl to life, and his saving acts, yeah, yeah, over and over again. I mean, we see them now, and it's kind of like, oh, neat story. Oh, neat story. Like, oh, of course, the kingdom's coming, but yeah. to be there, but and- to be in the midst of it, and see. You know, this guy who was a beggar lame for 40-something years. You know, well, I guess this is Peter I'm thinking of in Acts 3, but... Well, the, there was the parallel, you know, 38 yeah, years, yeah, yeah. Yeah, So, but even, I mean, we could even talk about how the kingdom, and I think, and I'm thinking about a verse in Acts that talks about the kingdom kind of going forth, but I mean, it's just, it's just, it would be so intriguing to be in that first century and to see the kingdom just being dispersed onto human activity yeah. through through the king himself. I've been preaching through Matthew, and one of the places uh, that it was so clear that Jesus is signaling that the messianic kingdom has come was through his miracles. So, in Isaiah 35, particularly, uh, verses 5 and 6, "...then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped." Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. That is read in the context that the redeemed people of God are going to come back. That those who were exiled or would be exiled uh, to Babylon, that it's a figure to say that when you see these things happening, the kingdom of God, it's coming back. And so for Christ to perform all of those miracles, the healings, they weren't just for the wow factor. They were to confirm that the kingdom is coming, that the ransom of God shall return, and that the kingdom of heaven is upon you. He demonstrated this through his his miraculous acts. Yeah. And I think one reason of this is to kind of answer the questions that we see, particularly at the beginning of the gospels, you know, are are you the one? Are you the king? You know, are you the the one to come? You know, they've been longing for this this king of David to come and fulfill things. And there's this he is doing those kingly-like activities, which spurs on this curiosity, but then he kind of confirms their question, but also at the same time even answers it even bigger and better than they, you know, because they were only thinking of it only as a, a physical sense kingdom. Mm-hmm. And here Jesus is saying, again, and there's an expansion. So it's this principle of expansion. Sometimes people will critique and say that the Reformed spiritualize the promises of the Old Covenant, but we don't spiritualize them. We, we actually expand them as the gospel, and Christ expands the promises. We're going to come back to it later, but the land promises made to Abraham. Folks will insist that those have to be fulfilled through the literal restoration of the nation of Israel. When we understand that the land promises given to Abraham, that the land itself was really just kind of like the springboard, or it was the postage stamp compared to 
the true inheritance of God's people, and we will inherit a land. We're going to inherit the whole earth. Yeah, no, that's a great way. To, speaking of one of our former guests, Mike Glodo, was just on uh, this other podcast called The Reform Forum, episode 666 on dispensationalism, <laughs> which if you understand all that, you will laugh just like Stephen. Yeah. But that, one of the questions that came up was that, like, okay, clearly we have to be worried about this little piece of land in the Middle East. And Glodo, I think he got from somewhere else, which, which I forget, but he was like, you know, if your granddaddy said, I'm going to give you 50 bucks, and 20 years down the road, he gives you a 1000 you're not going to complain. And, and, and the analogy was this. God was, like you just said, God's going to give us the land. Well, it's going to be bigger than just that little piece in, in the Middle East. It's now covering the whole earth. Exactly. So there's an expansion of the promises of God. And that's where we're going to talk now, our second point. So that's the, the, the nature of the kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom, and it extends not only to the church, which we'll see, but also to wherever Christ is exercising his saving power. Now, the kingdom and the church, Richard Pratt, do you want to read this quote? or You can read it. I can read it? Yeah. You All have right. a better reading voice than I do. Uh, you, you, you get me these, uh, you, you put Richard Pratt in front of me, and uh, he keeps making it in. So, with the choice of... Abraham, this is what Pratt writes, with the choice of Abraham and his descendants as God's special people, the kingdom of God was primarily limited to the people and land of Israel. God asserted his kingship on earth when he delivered Israel from the Egyptian empire and brought her to the promised land. Under David and Solomon, Israel itself became a defined territory with the sons of David sitting on the throne of God as his vice regents and with God's royal footstool in the temple. This ethnically and geographically limited form of the kingdom was not an end in itself. On the contrary, Old Testament Israel was established as a stage from which the kingdom of God would eventually extend to all peoples and lands of the earth. So, in the Old Testament, the kingdom of God existed in the theocracy of Israel. They were not mutually exclusive institutions. They were one and the same. The church was the kingdom of Israel, the theocracy of Israel in the Old Testament. Yeah. And a very smaller picture of this is creation itself. Adam and Eve was to have dominion and to rule. They were a church. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, and to rule all over. This is the beginning of it. Here's the seed. It's going to expand to the ends of the earth. That was the hope. Here again, Israel was just this thing to get the thing started. Yeah. Adam and Eve the kingdom was not going to be excluded only to them, yep. but they were the stage from which this yep. would play out. And likewise, Israel Israel was a stage. So this is where you know the, the localized theocracy for a time, it and the church were one and the same. However, in time, God's purposes of redemption were going to extend beyond the theocracy of Israel and include the nations. And it's funny because this global scope of the kingdom of God is actually in the Old Covenant promises made to Abraham himself, both in Genesis 12 and 22. Do you want to read Genesis 12? Yeah, Genesis 12 is one of my favorites. Um, uh, and if you remember, this is the call to Abram. Um, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and you make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so this, again, expansion of the kingdom to all nations, to all people, to the ends of the earth. Um, And again, Genesis 22, after this near sacrifice of his son Isaac, uh, he said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand of the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and your offspring shall, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. The intention of Abraham's offspring, singular and in a plural sense, was that the kingdom of God would be a blessing to all the nations, not that it would be excluded only to the you know bit of land there in the ancient e- in ancient near east so louis burkhoff uh, another good theologian um he describes the relationship of israel to the kingdom of god this way that the national kingdom of israel was only a symbol and a shadow and type of that glorious reality especially it was destined to appear in the days of the new testament with the coming of the new dispensation uh, if you if you don't like that word, we can say age. Um, with the coming of the new dispensation, all the Old Testament shadows passed away, and among them also the theocratic kingdom. Out of the womb of Israel, the spiritual reality of the kingdom came forth and assumed existence independent of the Old Testament theocracy. Hence, the spiritual character of the kingdom stands forth far more clearly in the New Testament than it does in the Old. And this is where I think the false dichotomy is set up, that people will look at, and even in the 21st century uh, among our dispensationalist friends, they will look at the earthly kingdom of Israel in a purely nationalistic earthly sense. But notice what Burkhoff says, the spiritual character of the kingdom stands forth far more clearly in the New Testament. Old Testament Israel was a spiritual kingdom. They were a spiritual people under the lordship of Yahweh, but it's more clearly seen in the New Testament. Yeah, and again, their job, even back in the Old Testament, was to be a blessing to the nations. They were supposed to be a light uh, to the nations of their king, particularly who was reigning and ruling over you. Again, that kingly response of Abraham that you listen to my voice, you know, as God, as the Lord acting as a king. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, because of that, as we listen to our king, rightly, uh, the nations will take notice. So, if Israel was a wholly different people group, and then the church age comes in, I mean, that would give credence to what the you know, dispensationalist friends call the church aid, they say it's a parenthesis. Yeah. God made promises to the Jewish nation previously, to the kingdom of, this is, this is interesting, the kingdom of, uh, uh, you know, they, they make the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is earthly Jewish kingdom, and then the kingdom of heaven is like, yeah. you know, the church. Yeah. They'll literally say that what we're in right now is a parenthesis, that God made promises to Old Testament Israel that those are suspended for the time being because he's going to work in the parentheses of the church, but eventually he's going to come in an establishing the millennial kingdom on earth. He's going to circle back to the Jews to whom he made promises before and actually fulfill those. But the problem becomes is that the New Testament even speaks of us 
as being the Israel of God. You look at Romans 9 with the, the uh, olive tree and yeah. the branch being grafted in, right? Yeah. And this is where we're, we're, what we're trying to do is make an argument that the Bible has continuity where our dispensational brothers and sisters are saying there's strong discontinuity. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want, well, we don't want it. We're, we're saying that the Bible actually tells of that continuity. And that's why it's important. That's why it's important to see that this kingdom that was established uh, continues to be established. And, and Jesus is the one who centers it and then makes and reveals it brighter and bigger and better. Mm-hmm. So, you, I, just to go back to like the Romans 9 analogy, it's not that with the uh, kind of talking about the incorporation of the Gentiles into the church, God didn't set up another olive tree. He grafted into Israel the Gentile Christians. And we understand, even the Apostle Paul says in the book of Galatians, and the whole problem with the book of Galatians was the Judaizers were insisting that you needed to be joined to the external Jewish community in order to be saved, that you needed to believe in Jesus and you needed to be circumcised, which was the rite of passage into you know, Judaism. So when Paul, at the end of Galatians 6, says, into the Israel of God, speaking of the church, that's a very provocative statement, that it's not the Jew, like he says in Romans, who is one externally, but circumcision, even in the Old Testament, was a matter of the heart. So we are the Israel of God. Like, the church is Yeah, again, point to Father Abraham yeah. had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, you know. So, you know, it all goes there. So, we're all connected to this. It's not this, you know, Abraham was the father of the true Israel. You know, we're not, you know. Like, yeah. We, like, Jesus is our father. No, you know, you know our basis of our faith goes back to Abraham. Again, kind of focusing on this continuity piece uh, and not this discontinuity. Right. Paul said, how are we united to Father Abraham? Is it because we're the children of his flesh? No, it's because we have his faith. That's how we take after our Father Abraham and how he's, I am one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Pratt talks about the New Testament. Oh, Tommy's uh, giving us some nice dancing dancing, there. Dancing. Chutzpah. that that Pratt deal where he talk where he ties it into the New Testament. Um, do you want to take us out with that one, and then we'll talk briefly about the kingdom's growth? Yeah. So Pratt here continues. He says the New Testament teaches that this final worldwide stage of the kingdom of God began with the incarnation of Christ. He and John the Baptist announced the good news that the kingdom was at hand. But contrary to the common Jewish expectations, Jesus and his apostles explained that the worldwide reign of God on earth would not come immediately in all its fullness. Instead, Christ inaugurated this final stage of the kingdom in his earthly ministry. It continues today in this church, but it will reach its ultimate end when Christ returns in glory. Um, which is a great quote to kind of move us into because what we see here is this, and this is what I learned from Pratt was we see with Jesus that his kingdom was inaugurated. 
then it's we're in the midst of this continuation part as we lean forward for its consummation icc mm-hmm. uh, as and and that's what we're going to go into our this next point of the kingdom's growth this continuation as it expands to go back to voss he he talks about the kingdom is already and not yet that there are present realities that we enjoy that we are in the kingdom of god right now in fact in jesus day he said the kingdom of god is among you. So to say that the kingdom of God isn't coming until Jesus comes back on the clouds and sets up, you know, the nation of Israel once again, you know, that that isn't consistent even with the New Testament teaching itself. That the kingdom of God existed in Jesus day and as you said, it continues in our day. So Christ in his incarnation inaugurated the kingdom of God and when Christ comes at the second coming to judge the world, that's when the kingdom will be consummated and reach its full yeah. maturity. And here's a, a very small personal, for example, our own salvation. So there's an already ness to our salvation. We have been justified. We have been declared righteous. However, we're not consummated yet. We're not glorified yet. And so there's this, as the kingdom is kind of growing and maturing as us, aka sanctification, God's making us into what he's already declared us to be. As we think through that in our own personal lives, the kingdom of God is similar to that, and, and maybe you could say more so on an earthly level as the kingdom of God is, has started. Has it's it, advancing. And now it's advancing and growing and maturing uh, throughout the, the ends of the earth. And, and, and the place wherein this is normally going to happen is the church. And, and Burkhoff's very careful to distinguish here that the kingdom of God and the church are inseparably united, yet they're not one and the same. The church, he says, is the one divinely instituted visible outpost of the kingdom of God, but that this its field of operation is wider than that of the church. So um, the church is where God, this is, this is the stage. So Israel was the stage for the New Testament church, and the New Testament church is the stage from which the cosmic unfolding of the kingdom of God is going to take place. We are citizens, Christ is king, he's head of all things of the church. And and this church is going to continue to grow. And it grew considerably when you think of Jesus having 12 disciples, and here we are. With well, RULF, we're looking at the Acts. I mean, just at the beginning, that you see this meek 100 and so people in Acts 1, kind of hiding, not sure what to do. Jesus comes on there at Acts 1, Eight, you'll be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaritan, to the very ends of the earth. Uh, you see then, and, and then you kind of see very quickly the growth of the church going from 100, 2,000 to 5,000, you know, in the first eight chapters of Acts. And then you see this persecution come, and then us going out, dispersing to the ends of the earth. And then even the very last verse that Paul's preaching and the kingdom is going out with boldness and being unhindered uh, to the very ends of the earth. Um, and, it, and again, like your point, you know, me and you're in Jacksonville, Florida. And we're a part of the kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it started with 100 people in Jerusalem. And where are we now? Jacksonville, Florida, the home of the Jaguars and where the kingdom of God is on the move. And, and it's even farther than a place like Jacksonville. It's kind of going forth. Uh, all over the place. Yeah. And and the kingdom will finally be consummated uh, as that glorious chapter, the resurrection chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after s- destroying every rule and every authority and power. Uh, 
That's also a key verse, um, you know, that we talked about with the king's conduct. But notice that he's going to deliver the kingdom to the Father because he will have conquered sin and death, all powers, all authority on earth, um, all things under heaven. They're going to be dealt with, and then Christ, uh, as it were, delivers this perfect and perfected, consummated kingdom up to the Father. And at that point, it will be true. Like we pray every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, the kingdom of God will have come on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. On a side note, just consider the handing the handing over between God and Jesus. You know, in John 13, that you know, God handed all things to himself. Gave him all authority. Yeah. And then you see that in Matthew 28. And then here kind of that Jesus did what he was going to do, expand the kingdom, and now he's kind of handing it back. Mm-hmm. So, so we, did, we talked a lot about the kingdom. So we're just going to work through a couple of bullet points here just to solidify all that we've said. And know this, y'all, there is so much more that we could say, but... Uh, these are some basic principles that we think will help you better read your Bibles, uh, will help you better understand what Christ is doing, and appreciate the Church of Christ much, much more, because this is the stage. This is the stage where by God is going to come and he's going to make all things new, that he's going to uh, use you and me as participants in this kingdom to glorify Christ. So, Tommy, let's work through these bullet points. I'll read the first one, and we'll just we'll just alternate. Um the kingdom of God is the sphere of saving influence, as Voss says. It's where Jesus Christ is ruling on behalf of his people as their mediatorial king. The kingdom of God is closely identified with the church and, and existed in both the Old and New Testament. Burkhoff writes, the church is the one divinely instituted, visible outpost of the kingdom of God, but that its field of operation is wider than of the church. Uh, again, the church is the sphere of influence. It's the launching point or pad in which the work of saving and redemption purposes kind of go throughout history. The kingdom of God has both present and future aspects. It's already here, but it's not yet reached all its fullness. The final stage of the kingdom was inaugurated by the coming of Christ in the incarnation, and the consummation of the kingdom will come at the second coming of Christ at the end of the age. And in that consummation, our sin will once and for all be subdued. Our enemies and Satan himself will be conquered, and we will forever be with the Lord. Good stuff. So, if there are any questions or anything like that, just please forward all emails to Tommy Park. He'll be glad to answer every one of those footnotes. In turn. In turn. Ooh, yeah. Um, You got it like a... Can I have access to like such an intern when people send me good no, questions? I would answer them in turn. In turn. Oh, you not like you're going to send them to your intern? Yeah, I'm not going to hand them off to some imaginary friend. Well, all right. Well, maybe we'll get you a real intern, you know, yeah, one day. Well, yeah, once well, yeah, we're our huge budget that we have here. That's right. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening to the podcast. Uh maybe we'll get that intern next time, but until then, we look forward to speaking with you next. Keep it short. Invite the Father of glory Raise Jesus out of the dead And seating our Lord in splendor Crowned Him the exalted head Every tribe